Let's pray together. Uh, We've had a great service already this morning, Lord. It's been really good to be able to say and sing true things about you, about ourselves, and about this world. And we ask that that would just continue, that your spirit would continue to move, continue to speak, uh, continue to encourage and convict. And now, as we begin this uh, study of this uh, Old Testament book that some of us have never heard of and others of us have different thoughts and opinions of, we pray that it would be fresh to us and that through uh, these very old stories, we would encounter new things about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, My goal this morning, as we begin this new sermon series from the Old Testament book of Jonah, my goal is simply that, uh, that any of us this morning who feel frozen in fear, any kind of fear, any sort of fear, any of us who feel frozen in fear, Uh, Today, we'll choose to step into that fear with a growing faith in God. Uh, The text begins, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. He was an Old Testament prophet. He kind of fits the the profile of some of our other Old Testament prophets uh, that we see in the scriptures. A prophet is simply one who speaks the word of God. Of God. A prophet was known to be a true prophet if his prophecy was confirmed in line with the previous spoken word of God, affirmed by the community and verified by later generations. And Jonah is proven to be a true prophet. The Old Testament prophets were concerned with many things, but often their concerns fell into one of two camps either idolatry, worshiping anything other than God, or injustice, living in a way that is a foreign and obscene to God's heart for justice in the world, idolatry or injustice. So, so Jonah is a prophet. We see this in the way that the text begins, the word of the Lord came. This is a, a common phrasing of when God speaks to a prophet who is then to speak to the people. The word of the Lord came, and we see this phrase at the beginning of our book here. We also know that Jonah was a prophet because he shows up somewhere else in the scriptures. Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14. And if you're in a community group, you'll uh, look a little bit more closely at that. But in that passage as well, we see that Jonah fits the bill for an Old Testament prophet, one who speaks the word of God as he or she hears the word. So Jonah is a prophet, and yet right away something stands out to us about this prophet. He disobeys God. I mean, intrinsic to being a prophet is that you do what God says, you say what God says. And yet, from the very beginning of our book, Jonah disobeys. Jonah hears, but he does something different. This should catch our attention. It's not just a subtle disobedience. It's a very clear disobedience that the author of this book wants us to see. Two times in verse 3, we're told that Jonah disobeyed. He ran away and he fled from the Lord. Uh, I think we have a map that we can put up here that just gives you an idea of, of what Jonah's disobedience looked like. Joppa is where he was heading to. Nineveh was where he was called. Tarshish is where he was trying to get to. And so it wasn't just like, a, I, um, I, maybe, maybe I didn't hear right. It was like, no, I am literally going to go the opposite direction. Tarshish was literally at that point the end of the known Western world. It was like Jonah said, I'm going to go to the end of the earth. Do the exact opposite of what God had called him to do. Which I think at the very least deserves our respect. The man was not wishy-washy. 
He was not lukewarm. By his very disobedience, he proved that he believed in God, that he had faith in God. Otherwise, he just would have stayed where he was, right? He'd been like, I got some indigestion. I heard something weird that couldn't have actually been what God said. But no, he hears and he chooses to go the other way. That deserves our respect. He held God in high honor and high esteem, enough so that he was actually going to do the opposite. Some of us need to just pay attention to that. Because our interaction with God is kind of lukewarm. It's kind of wishy-washy. We're not really obeying, but we're not really disobeying either. We're just kind of, eh, meh. Jonah esteems God. He worships God. He loves God. And so he goes the opposite direction. But again, it's such a clear disobedience. If we were going to kind of literally translate these first few verses, God would say to Jonah, rise and go. And then the text would say of Jonah that he rose and fled. It's kind of an opposite, right? Like, you rise up, Jonah, get up and go. Mm. He rose up and he fled. Why? Why, despite his respect for God, his honoring of God, why, despite the way that the scriptures testify to Jonah being a true prophet, why is it that he disobeyed so decisively? Well, the call on his life, and we see it very, very clearly here, the call on his life required that Jonah had unconditional faith in God. And we can see this in the middle of our verses, in verse 2, when God actually speaks his command. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. There's some history here that we need to be aware of. In the year 922, the nation of Israel divided into two different kingdoms, the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. It had been united under King David, united under his son Solomon, and then after Solomon's death, the kingdom divided. Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom. 200 years after the kingdom was divided in the year 722, the northern kingdom would fall to the empire of Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah would fall a couple hundred years later to Babylon. Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom, kind of about halfway between that initial division and the fall of the northern kingdom. About 100 years after the kingdom divided, about 100 years before it would fall to Assyria. Assyria, though, one day would conquer the northern kingdom, would conquer Jonah's people and utterly destroy it. Ten of the original 12 uh, Jewish tribes were associated with the northern kingdom. They're known as the lost tribes because after Assyria conquered the northern kingdom, they scattered them throughout the earth and literally the people disappeared over the subsequent generations. This was Jonah's context. And Jonah is called to Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria. During Jonah's life, the Assyrians were amassing power. They were threatening other nations' borders. They were constantly harassing Israel, Jonah's country. And it's not just that the Assyrians were the enemy. It's not just that there was a fear of being conquered. It was that Assyria was a particular kind of horrific blood thirsty enemy. Our community groups are going to go into a fair bit more detail on this point, but um, it's, it's, it's a brutal stuff and not maybe totally appropriate uh, for this morning. But just suffice it to say that Assyria was known for its tactics of terror, of torture, of humiliation. 
And not only did they use these tactics, but they wove them into their culture, uh, into their artwork, into the murals on their city walls, into the, the lore, into the songs that they sang about themselves, a way of inspiring fear in their enemies. For Jonah and for Israel, Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, represented all that was wrong with the world, all that was evil in the world. It's not just that Jonah and his country uh, men would have avoided Assyria. They would have been actively opposed to Assyria and to Nineveh. They would have been praying for the destruction of Nineveh. Everybody would agree that a world without Assyria, a world without Nineveh, a world without the citizens of that city, that would be a better world, a more just world, a more peaceful world, a safer world. Nobody was thinking about the redemption of Nineveh. They needed to be destroyed, wiped off the face of the earth. And if we are tempted to be too harsh on Jonah here, we need to just... Acknowledge the day that we live in. Think about ISIS in the Middle East. The language that is used here about ISIS or ISIL in Syria and Iraq. A few days ago, President Obama gave a, a speech about the American strategy in the Middle East. And he said, he said this in part. He said, in a region that has known so much bloodshed, these terrorists are unique in their brutality. This is how... Jonah would have talked about the Ninevites. They're unique in their brutality. They execute captured prisoners. They kill children. They enslave, rape, and force women into marriage. They threatened a religious minority with genocide. In acts of barbarism, they took the lives of two American journalists. Later in his speech, President Obama would call ISIS a cancer that must be, and this was his word, eradicated degrade and destroy this enemy, we've heard him say over and over again. And we all get it. We understand that instinct. We understand how it is that that group of people could be seen in this light. This is how Jonah would have felt about Assyria. And we can't blame him for it. Jonah was being asked by God to betray the very interests of his country. By going to Nineveh, he would be labeled a traitor. By going to Nineveh, it was possible that he would never be able to return home. Jonah, like every Old Testament prophet, expected difficult assignments from God. But this was beyond difficult. This must have felt to Jonah absolutely impossible. He was behind a rock in a hard place. Obeying this command required a measure of unconditional faith that at this moment, at least, Jonah lacked. So what does he do? He goes the other way. Are you getting the history? Are you getting the context? It'd be a little sympathetic to Jonah, right? Would any of us have done differently in his shoes? Here's one of our problems, I think, with the Old Testament prophets, because we can kind of look back on them from our vantage point, 2014 Chicago, and everything about them seems just different than us. Everything about their lives seems very dramatic, spectacular, very dissimilar to what we experience. And in other words, it's easy for us to hold the Old Testament prophets at arm's length without seeing very much relevance for our own lives of faith. 
So, for example, it's not immediately apparent how God's call to Jonah to go preach to the citizens of Nineveh has any connection to us whatsoever. And even more problematic, we can miss how Jonah's need for unconditional faith mirrors our own need for such powerful and robust faith. Maybe it's hard to see it right now, but the same sort of faith that was required for Jonah to go to Nineveh is the same sort of faith that is required for you and I to follow Jesus. Uh, so maybe it's easy for us to kind of ignore the prophets or hold them at arm's length a little bit, but Jesus does not really allow us that option. Jesus actually seems to be rather fond of Jonah. Anytime that Jesus talks about Jonah, and we see it in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, it's all very positive. He holds Jonah up as a positive example of a prophet through whom God brought great repentance, as we'll see later in our story. And then after he... Uh, speaks favorably about Jonah, he goes on to claim that all that God accomplished through Jonah would pale in comparison to what God was going to do through himself, through Jesus. Jesus places himself almost in the line of Jonah. We saw Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. Jesus is speaking to the crowds. He says, "The The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, right? Successful prophet. God accomplished this repentance through Jonah. And now, something greater than Jonah is here, speaking of himself. And Jesus seems to appreciate Jonah, wants us to pay attention to him. Uh, Just a few verses later in Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, Jesus speaks from this authority that he's now claiming for himself about about what is required for his followers. He says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We know what it would have been for Jonah to obey God's will and to claim uh, uh, being family with God. It would have been to go to Nineveh. Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sisters. So what is the Father's will that Jesus has in mind? And again, I don't want to say it like this. The will of God as expressed to Jonah, go to Nineveh, The will of God as expressed to Jonah is no more shocking than God's will expressed to us through Jesus. Four chapters later in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Do you know this passage? Have you heard it before? It becomes familiar to us, this language, I think, and so it doesn't shock us in the way that it should. But consider Jonah on the way to Joppa after he had heard from God, looking for a boat that he can catch to disobey God. He was convinced that God's will for his life would lead to his death. He understood with absolute clarity that saying yes to God's will meant a complete and total submission, not simply of his will, but of his very life. And for Jonah, God in that moment was asking too much, more than he was willing to give. So again, as dramatic as Jonah's call from God was, it's actually not that different for us. 
We simply cannot get away from the severe nature of God's will for our lives. We see it in Jesus' command to pick up our cross, the very instrument of death that would take his life. We see it in Paul's claim in his letters that the rescue from our sin means our death with Christ. We experience it in the many ways that our discipleship to Jesus leads to a death to relevancy, to efficiency, to the brutality that our world values in its victors and its heroes. Some have even experienced and are experiencing the very physical death that comes with a confession of Jesus Christ alone as king. So Jonah shows us something very, very important when he rejects God's call to Nineveh. He shows us that responding to God's will, whether it is our initial submission to his salvation, or whether it is the ongoing steps of discipleship, Jonah shows us that responding to God's will is not something we are capable of in ourselves. When we, like Jonah, look with total honesty at the will of God, we will find that we do not have enough strength. When we, like Jonah, are honest about God's will for our lives, we will find that we cannot reason our way to obedience. When we are honest about God's will for our lives, we quickly find that any passion, any stamina quickly fades away when we're confronted with God's overwhelming call. What is required for you and me, what was required for Jonah, is not our strength, our reason, our passion, our stamina. What is required when God calls you is an unconditional faith. Let's say it this way. If I think that I am following God's will for my life, and yet my faith is not regularly stretched to what feels like the breaking point, And it's more likely that I am following my will for my life. It is a life of faith and obedience to God's will that is the mark of a Christian's life. And here's the thing. It's not just that I need faith to believe that Jesus is God's son. I do. And it's, it's not just that I need faith to know that Jesus is worthy of my complete submission and devotion. I, I need faith for that, too. We also need faith to believe that dying in the way of Jesus is actually the way to life. Abundant life. Eternal life. And again, for Jonah in that moment... It was too much. So let's pause. If Jonah was unable to choose unconditional faith in response to God's will, who are we to think that we can do any better? And the answer, of course, is that we won't do any better. The answer is also that Jesus has already done better. 
We've already seen how Jesus claimed a stature and authority, a power greater than that of Jonah. And Jesus, too, and we need to see this, Jesus, too, faced those moments where he had to choose complete and utter faith in his Father's will. Think of him in the wilderness, baptized by his cousin John and led by the Spirit into the wilderness for days and days and days and days and days. He's hungry, he's thirsty, he's tired. And then what happens? The enemy comes and tempts him three times, tempts him to will, tempts him to power, tempts him to choose any other way than faith in his Father's will. He could have chosen to respond through his strength, through his wisdom, through his passion, through his stamina, yet he chose to respond in faith to his Father's will for him. Jump ahead to the end of Jesus' life, and we find him not in the wilderness, but in the garden. He knows what's coming. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows the torture and crucifixion that is around the corner. Matthew tells us in chapter 26, verses 39 through 43, and he leaves his disciples behind, and going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. You remember what comes next? Yet not as I will, but as you will where Jonah could not bring himself to have enough faith in God's perfect will, Jesus said yes. Over and over again throughout his life, Jesus chose the way of unconditional faith in his Father's will. And for Jesus, the only one without sin, the only one who perfectly and unconditionally always chose the way of faith. For Jesus, the Father's will actually led to his death. For him, it was actually true that the Father's will would lead to his death. Jonah's name uh, means dove. And uh, biblical scholars kind of argue you know, what the significance of that is. They have different theories. But some see in Jonah's name, dove, a symbolism of the sacrificial dove that Jewish people would bring to the temple to sacrifice and atonement for their sins. This is what Jonah felt like in this moment, like a dove being sacrificed for his enemy's sins. Jesus, of course, is greater than Jonah. Jesus is our sacrificial dove. He is the sacrificial lamb upon whom God placed all of our sin, all of the world's injustices, all of our faithlessness. The emotional, relational, spiritual, and physical death that so terrorized and terrified Jonah was actually experienced by Jesus. The fear that each of us have faced or will face when confronted with God's will for our lives was faced fully and fearlessly by Jesus. In other words, Jesus died the death that would have completely destroyed us. And because Jesus died our death, nothing that feels or looks, or sounds, or smells like death can have any claim over us ever again. 
Jesus is the only one who perfectly answered God's call to unconditional faith. And because his death and resurrection were for us, for our abundant eternal life, then there is, for those in Christ Jesus, nothing that we have to fear. This means two things. It means that there is nothing in this world that we need to fear. And, like Jonah, it means that there is no call from God that is too severe, too all-encompassing, too near the valley of the shadow of death that we cannot say yes in faith. Christ has gone before us. Evidence and promise that our greatest enemy and greatest fears no longer have any power over us. When we submit our lives to Jesus, our old, fearful, broken lives die with Christ and new resurrected life is reborn. Our lives are hidden in Christ Jesus crucified and resurrected Jesus, the coming king of the universe, pours out into his people the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the imagery? The faithful Christ before us. The faithful Christ around us. The faithful Christ in us. And so you and I can face a fear-mongering world without fear. And we can hear the call of a holy and righteous and even fear-inspiring God and not respond with Jonah's terror, but with the unconditional faith of Jesus. Are you with me? I'm going to go out on a limb and say everybody in this room has heard God's call. You have heard God's call to lay down your life, to allow your old, broken, fearful self to be crucified with Christ so that new and resurrected life could be born. You've heard the call to shut down that dating relationship. Can get a little bit more specific here for a second? To shut that thing down because this is a person who is more interested in using you than in loving you. You've heard the call to forgive the person who has wounded you so deeply. You've heard the call to vocational ministry. You've heard the call to a career without prestige. You've heard the call to stay in the neighborhood. You've heard the call to chastity. No, no amens to that one? No amens to that one. I'm st- the call sounds like death sometimes, and just let's be honest. You've heard the call to love your spouse again and again and again. I'm going to guess that every single one of us have heard the call that Jonah heard a call that seems impossible, a call, if we're listening, that even points to a kind of death. But we don't hear the call in isolation. We hear God's radical call as spoken through the Christ who has gone through death so that we might truly live. 
we hear the severe and the saving call of God, and as we place our faith in Jesus, the one who assures us that no threat in this life can claim us, that not one part of God's radical will for us will overcome us. So here's the promise. When we obey God's will in faith, we will experience increased closeness, intimacy, friendship with God. We will. It's not hard to imagine this, right? If I'm over here and Josh is over there, it's going to be hard to kind of have a friendship, right? I say, hey, Josh, come over here, and he actually comes. It's going to be a little easier for us to have friendship together. If God is leading you into your fears and you're holding back, you can expect to experience a kind of distance from that God. But the promise is that those saying yes to God will absolutely lead you closer to your fears, saying yes will also lead you to the God who rescues you from those fears. It's counterintuitive, right? Does it feel kind of counterintuitive? Who, who wants to step into their fears? Raise your hand. Anybody? And Marvin's the only crazy one. I wouldn't even raise my hand to that question. Right? Who wants to? There's something deep inside of us that pulls back in those moments, right? Understandably so. In those moments where God is calling us to step into that place of fear, right? Through his will, through his protection, through his guidance. There's that thing inside of us that's still always going to, just like Jonah, it's all, I'm going to go the opposite way. But it's in stepping into that place through the will and the obedience to God, what happens? The fear loses its power. More of the promise. When we obey God's will and faith, our faith will expand. There are some of you, I know, you want more faith. You want to experience more of a life of faith. You don't want your first instinct to be one of fear or self-protection or self-defense. You want to experience more faith. When you begin to say yes to what seems impossible, when you begin to say yes to those things that God is calling you to that seem impossible, you are going to find that the other impossible things in your life all of a sudden start to look possible. Because when God calls you to this thing that feels impossible, and all of a sudden you step into it and you realize, oh, oh, this is, this is not impossible. This actually can be healed. This actually can be solved. I actually can grow in this. I actually can leave that addiction behind. That thing that seemed impossible to me, now I'm in it with God because God has called me to that place and it doesn't seem impossible anymore. So what happens? I start to look around at the other stuff in my life and it's not impossible. That broken relationship is not impossible to fix. That dysfunctional part of my family baggage is not impossible to be freed from. Do you see? Do you see? That's the promise. When we obey God's will and faith, you and I will begin to see the world through different eyes. 
See, God's call to Jonah felt impossible because for Jonah, the world was divided into two groups, those God loved and those God hated. And again, we don't blame him for that. We understand that that's how our world works too. But Jonah's going to experience something very different as we study this book. Some of us are living lives that are very scripted and very limited because we've not had our simplistic categories and options demolished by a God who cannot be held by our simplistic categories and our safe options. When we say yes to God's call, when we respond in faith, the way that we see the world begins to change. Closed doors open. Old things become new. And no one, no one, no one, even the Ninevites can be written off, ignored, or assumed to be beyond God's heart for rescue. I realize, uh, as we're talking about this, this is, for me at least, it's a little heavy. Answering God's call, obeying his will, often will seem like a kind of death. Whether it is laying down our lives for the very first time, whether it is confronting the fears that have limited our hope, whether it is leaving behind that comforting addiction, we will experience, if we are following God's will for our life, we will experience a kind of dying to ourselves. And that's okay. This, I, I want you to hear this super clearly because there are a lot of religious and spiritual voices around us right now that say, if you are following God, then everything's going to go good for you all the time. Everything's going to feel good to you all. If you're in God's will, if you're thinking the right thoughts, then you're going to bring to yourself stuff that feels good all the time. Jesus says, no, I'm going to lead you right up to the edge of the valley of the shadow of death. But because I went there before you, it will have no power over you. you, So I just, I want some of you just to kind of just, Think about how you're evaluating your experience of God right now. Some of you are angry at God because of the hard things that you're experiencing. Could it be that God has led you to experience those hard things? Some of you are just desperately trying to get out of the wilderness. Maybe like Jesus, you've been led into the wilderness for a season so that you can be shaped and molded and experiencing truths about God that you will never experience on the mountaintop. That was one of those things that Pastor Michelle has always praised for. If it's not on my manuscript, I say it. That was not on my manuscript. You and I are going, if we say yes to the will of God, if we obey God's, what sounds like a severe will for our lives, we will experience what feels like death. We follow a crucified Savior. Of course it will feel like death at times. And yet, Jesus stands before us as evidence and promise that God's will, no matter how severe it sounds to our ears at first, his will will always, always, 
always lead to life. That God's will is always pleasing and perfect. That God's will will always work for our good. For our good. Where are you going to go when you hear God speak? Will you flee with Jonah to Tarshish? Will you step into your fears in faith that even your greatest fears are no match for the one who went before you through death itself so that you might be free from fear and free to live a life of faith? Where will you go when God speaks? God is speaking. God has spoken. Where will you go? In a minute, I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to ask uh, as I pray uh, that different ones of you stand so that I can pray for you. Again, my assumption is that every single one of us in this room have heard God's call. And yet many of us, many of us have either tried to shrug it off or said, uh, when's, the, when's, the boat for, uh, when's the boat for Tarshish leave? Uh, And so for some of us, my guess is you've heard God's call on your life just initially, just to lay down your life, to submit your life for Jesus. And you're hearing like, wow, that that, that, that sounds like death, right? You can kind of see on the other side of that resurrection and what God wants to do in your life, but that initial laying down your life, right? So you're kind of frozen in fear at that point. Others of us, others of us have heard God call us to something pretty specific. Like, you know you need to leave that thing behind. Like, if you would just uh, 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 tell some of your friends that that thing is still in your life, they'd be like, you have to leave that thing behind, right? You know. And yet it just, it's, man, it's frozen in fear because you know that leaving that thing behind will feel like death. And some of us are in these very kind of dysfunctional, unhealthy, abusive relationships. And as much as you know you need to step away from that thing, you know that when you do, it will feel like death. You will feel lonely. You will feel isolated. And so in fear, you've stayed. Others of you have been called to something. You know that God has called you to a specific work, to a specific neighborhood, to a specific career, vocation. You know that you know that you heard God speak. But you also know that you wish you hadn't heard in the first place. My life would be a whole lot simpler if I didn't know that God was calling me there. So you too have stopped in fear. So again, in a second, as we pray, I'm going to ask anybody who feels like they're in that place of just being frozen up in fear and who today all you want, all you want to do is say, I just would like to take a baby step in faith. Just a baby step in faith. How much faith does Jesus say is required? Anybody remember? A mustard, tiny amount of faith. Just enough faith to go like this. A mustard seed amount of faith to say, uh, I'd like to quit living my life in fear. 
That make, that make sense? That makes sense? Why am I asking you to stand as we pray? Because we're physical people. Do you have to stand? No, of course. You can just ask God to do that in your life. But we're physical people, and there's something important about just physically moving our bodies and saying, yes, God, yes. Okay? So let's just spend a moment in silence, searching our hearts, listening to the Spirit talk. And I'm going to invite some of you to stand so that we can pray for you. Whoever the Son has set free is free indeed. So we acknowledge this invitation in front of us this morning, God, to another step into your freedom and to another step into a life of faith. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be speaking to us now. Pray that you would be um, pushing back uh, even now as those fears kind of creep their way in. That thing that's saying us, you're not strong enough to live without that, without me. You don't have enough capacity to actually step into that call on your life. Holy Spirit, push back anything that is not true, anything that is not from you this morning. Any voice that is saying the promise of salvation comes with a promise of your own death. No, 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 that's not how it works. You gotta fight for yourself. You gotta fight for your life. You gotta pull yourself up. Push it back, Lord Jesus, I pray. So that we could see the beautiful paradoxical, paradoxical nature of the gospel that our lives are crucified with Christ. That everything old, everything ugly, everything dysfunctional, everything sinful, everything rebellious, everything fearful, everything apathetic, everything self centered can be put to death with Christ Jesus. So that new life can be resurrected. So that the lives that we were always created for, made in the image of God, could uh, burst forth in a new, brilliant, beautiful, powerful way in our lives. Speak that paradoxical truth to our hearts now. And now, God, I, I pray that you would be placing very specific things in front of us so that when I invite us to stand, we're standing with a very specific uh, a call on our life, with our ear attuned to a very specific call, a, a step into faith for the first time, a step away from that idol, away from that injustice, away from that thing that has entangled us, that addiction. Stepping into your call, into your call to that neighborhood, to that job, to that place. And so church, if it's time for you to stand so that we can pray for you, just stand right now. Stand right now. Anything, any place of fear that you want to step away from, stand right now. 
No manipulation, no guilt if you don't stand. This is just if you're hearing God's invitation to you right now. Some of you are living in that place of faith, and we thank God for you. We need you to keep living hard from that place, showing us what it looks like. So now for those of you who are standing, I just ask that you just kind of palms up, hold your arms out. You're releasing any, 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 any piece of fear that's got itself wrapped around you. This is not what God has from you. This is not from God. This is not for you. So let it go. And you're receiving this morning the gift again of faith. You're acknowledging before God, this is all I've got. I got a mustard seed. I got two mustard seeds. I got three mustard seeds. That's all I got. But I'm going to step out into this faith with you. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray for every woman, every man who is standing now. We live in such a terrified world. We are lied to every single day of what we're supposed to be afraid of, of what we're supposed to protect ourselves against. And so I take it to be a move of your Holy Spirit that these women and men are standing up. They have heard your truth from your word today. They've seen your truth embodied in your son, Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for that, God. And now I pray for your freedom from anything that has them bound up, any fear that's got itself wrapped around themselves. Help them to see it clearly and to walk away from it. God, rescue them from it, I pray. Can I ask this, God, so that if they were in Jonah's place and they were to hear such a call, such an impossible call. They would trust you and love you enough. They would have enough faith in you that they could say, I, I'm willing to take at least the next step with you, God. So call them into something new now, I pray, into the promises that you have for them, into the call that you have on their lives. They're not just letting something go. They're stepping into something right now, God. And so, Spirit, I pray that you would do this, too, in their lives, that you would confirm in their hearts your call, whether it is a first call to faith, whether it is a call to something new and beautiful. Confirm in their hearts your beautiful and perfect call on their lives. And this week, as they leave this place and as the enemy seeks to distract them, to discourage them, to weasel that fear back into their hearts, protect them, Lord Jesus. Let you be so beautiful and so compelling and so powerful that they want nothing but more of you. Church, I invite the rest of you to stand. God, I thank you for this community. As we embark on the story with Jonah, as we encounter more and more of a God that sometimes will sound severe and harsh to our ears, I pray that we would listen with trust and listen with faith and listen alongside our Lord Jesus Christ who says that one greater than Jonah has come now. And everything that he couldn't do, I have 